So what are we doing here? That is That's a, what I want. That is such a fantastic question. Um, the Board Game Awards. We haven't done the Video Game Awards yet, but uh, those can wait. Until we allegedly have uh, people to join in on that. Yeah, allegedly. These, these alleged These fictional people. folks. These fictional fake news folks. I am so the board staying relevant awards because it's still the year 2018. So out for, of curiosity, for before 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 we get too into this, did you see the explosion from your house last night? No, I well I was sleeping, so I would so, have been yeah, I would have been I guess you wouldn't have. sound asleep. I saw it out my window. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So for those and who don't live in New York or maybe also don't pay attention to the news, a uh, transformer blew up in Astoria. I know. Which one was it? I, it's the, it was the deceptive. Uh, you're going to have to help me out here. It was Bumblebee. But he's Bumblebee not a Decepticon. He's an Autobot. Thank you for the clarification. I know. I got to stay relevant. Also, especially when you're naming Bumblebee. I mean, there is a movie that just came out about Bumblebee. So I would hope you'd know a little bit just to stay uh, relevant. But it is, I it believe, don't. December the 28th be with you. You're not wrong. Um, and, not that it matters. And if I'm going to continue not being wrong, I believe we are here on WTDG. What's the deal with games? Uh, still, mi- still can't find the W, but uh, we are take we take that very seriously here. That it's what's the deal with games? That's not what's the deal with video games anymore. If it ever was, and it was, there was never a, a, an explicit V. Yeah, there's. It's never. If if the V was ever were ever in question, then 2018 surely put it to rest. Because here we are talking about well, P games. No, I hate. That's what we call that. We hate this. They're called no. They're called P games. games. Tabletop games, uh, as Amazon would call them. Don't we call them adult board games? We call well adult board games are kind of a different thing. I mean, if you want to count. Well, to me, they are a different thing. And but, on Target, they're called strategy games. Well, they're yeah, I guess, I guess strategy. Well, it's not kind of. Are there non-strategy games? So you have allegedly, allegedly, allegedly prepared something. I have prepared something. Um, I don't know how. And th- this is like we we here at WTDG. Uh, often fly by the seat of our pants with these kind of things. Um, but this is super by the seat of our pants because I just want to know, like, we, like we're trying to figure out how this would work. Um, or I'm trying to figure out how this would work. I have a bunch of categories, a lot of categories, with a lot of nominations. Uh, some of them are individual awards that we would just give uh, ourselves. And then I thought it would be more fun if we as a podcast agreed on other awards because otherwise it's kind of just going to be uh you know uh, like here's the name of the award what do you got for it and i think there would be a pretty quick answer like oh well yeah, this basically because you know i like it the best so i would i i'm hoping that that would elicit some discussion about these kind of things because uh this podcast is so exciting to me because this really was uh the year of board games for, year of, for us the at year least. of the cardboard yeah like for us at least and uh i 
enjoyed it a, a, a hell of a lot more being into board games and just how often I I got to play board games and experience that uh, side of the gaming culture and hang out with my friends more instead of just sitting behind a, a lonely computer. And I want to celebrate that. So I have a... So a, let's do it. I have a bunch of... I have a, I have a list of a bunch of games. Check it twice. Uh, I, I'll check it right now. Um, but uh, I think I have a decent kind of uh, setup here. If there's... Just like any award show we do, if there's anything that pops yeah, yeah. up into mind as a potential nominee, then go ahead right. and nominate so, it. So can you, can you read me through some of the awards that you're looking to run through today? All right. So this might be, uh, and stop me, because I know you will, a, a uh, long list of awards that I have uh, nominees for. Uh, I think I tried to cover stuff that you would also suggest in a lot of cases. But um, what we have here is Best Mechanic. Best Expansion, Ian O'Toole Award for Best Art Presented by Ian O'Toole, Best Components, Best Style, and that's a uh, that's the one thing that we stole from the Giant Bomb, and not and not vice versa. And um, not them stealing from us. Yeah, Best Party Game, Best Rule, Best Individual Game Played, which is Best Moment. I have some moments that uh, were memorable. Best Co-op, sure. Best Designer. Most played game. This is individually award. This is just gonna be a, that would just be a quick like. What did you All end right. up playing the most? Most anticipated for next year with many uh, suggestions and game of the year. And that's an individual award. And can you write down for me a best gateway game? Ooh, I love that. I love that. Um, I'm surprised I don't have that. And and also, can you write down for me uh, most replayed value? Uh, or is that too crazy? No, I like those. I like those. Um, let me see. I'm going to do this with a old school style. Uh, I'm going to write those down just to make sure that I don't remember. Okay. Um, but let's get on to it. I think some of the I think a lot of these will move pretty fast because I think we're in we're in consideration for for uh, we. Well, I mean, we we play the same board game for the most part, so. I think a lot of these will be like, yeah, we, we, we like these games because they end up getting to the table a lot because we all agree that they're pretty good. Um, it's like a 20-minute conversation. Yeah, so best mechanic. And this, this is something that I think is interesting. Um, it could also be named something like... like Oh, oh an, another thing that I should say right off the bat before so, so, we, we get into the nitty-gritty of this. One of the craziest things about this, and this was the only way we could do this, is that... Despite the fact that this will be the w the official WTG uh, board game of the year awards for 2018, uh, when we say 2018, that does not mean limited to 2018, which is important. Uh, it's literally of all time. Uh, every category yeah, so, is so of all is time. So this is going to be hard because uh, because next year I don't know that we'll have the ability to do this podcast again. I think we will. Why, we'll why do you say out. that? Just because you think that a lot of stuff will reappear. If it, I think that that's, a, I think that that in itself presents a really interesting yeah. and, and obviously, conversation. Yeah. So we're gonna, so we're gonna need to obviously talk through a couple of different mechanics. The challenge here is that with just the two of us, I don't know how much arguing there is going to be, but we'll, we have to. We'll, we'll see what we can get into. I, I don't know if we're gonna get. Uh, we're not gonna get so, each, at each other's throats, but I, I think that there could be times where yes, you could we are, sway idiot. me. One, Okay. 
I stand corrected. All right. So what does best mechanic mean? Tell me, tell me your idea of this. How is best mechanic? Uh, so first talk me through what best mechanic is. Okay. So, and then so the next question I'm going to have for you is how does it differ from best rule? Okay. That, that is important. Best rule would be a specific rule that jumps out. I, I kind of talked a little bit about rules this year where we would read the rules and you'd read something that was just like, oh my God, that jumps out immediately to uh, create like a fun moment um, and uh, something that like even on paper is amazing and then works out just as well in a game. Whereas best mechanic is kind of an <laughs> overall thing. And maybe even more specifically, it's something that's working for us the most right now. Maybe something that a mechanic that you see that is instantly going to draw your attention. And I, I have a very obvious front runner, um, but I, I could go, uh, but I, I, I'm up for a discussion as this, as, a, as we are to do. Um, so I have, again... Uh, with all these, if you can think yeah. of something that that should be on there that isn't, yeah. So so this will be a little tricky because I'm not I'm not prepared. So I feel like I don't want you to be monologuing. So you know I'm cooking. Up I don't some, think I I honestly I cannot this. possibly think that there is any sort of monologuing that go on because I think that all these were made to spark discussion. So all I have down because I think that there's a clear winner here and I think you'll jump to it immediately as something that. A, a basic mechanic or genre kind of thing. I guess that's not fair because now we're making the award even more confusing. Um, that that we liked this year. What it, it, this is a, a this this is a type of you know mechanic in a board game that you would instantly that would instantly perk your ears. Like, well, I'm a big fan of you know deck builders. So let me get into it. What I have currently which is a smaller list just because I, I picked stuff that like I think that we would obviously like is asymmetry, deck building, social deduction, worker placement, and legacy. So I picked See, the... now I, I, I interesting. I thought we were gonna go for something that was a little bit more uh, unique to the games because there are specific uh, games where I think they're, uh, mechanics would be useful to discuss. So I don't know if that's something that we should write separately or if you're expecting that to be part of best rule. But I actually have, you know, on on the on the back burner here, I've I've got some thoughts about best rule. And I've also got some thoughts about best unique mechanics in games. Yeah. I mean this is not unique mechanics. This is more like this this is this I thought of as a award to describe something that is like a mechanic that appears in almost all the games we play because we just love it you know like right. and overall like these are very like you can you can say like i like asymmetry because i love games where you have asymmetrical powers i like uh root for having that i like gaia project for having that it like asymmetry yeah. is right. the thing that but i immediately thought of as the thing that that we would gravitate to because it's it's something that i i feel like as a group and you and i is like asymmetric powers are something yeah. that we so, always love is like you know so i want to nominate then a new category and i want that category to be uh something along along the lines of like best cornerstone or like so i i want uh somewhere in this discussion to talk about the unique mechanics that maybe a specific board game does. Okay. 
And I think that that's different from saying is, uh, best game. That is a little different. Best that, game. That is different because yeah. because uh, along with that, like asymmetry can mean a lot of different things. And uh, I think in one of the best mechanic, and I, I think if we're going for more like best cornerstone, like you say, then I would be more interested in saying like like for that example, like radical asymmetry, like the way that Root did it, or uh, something like that, where you're playing like very different yeah. games. Um, so, so I think legacy is also a contention is a contention like legacy in general as a mechanic, I think is really interesting Let, because, yeah. So let's go down these categories then and discuss. So let's start with asymmetry since you already brought it up and, uh, alphabetically it falls in the right spot, right? Yeah. I think all, so most of these we're did, talking but... about asymmetry. We're talking, uh, root, obviously Terra Mystica Gaia project, um, we're talking about asymmetrical powers, maybe something like uh, level 99 games, uh, like Millennium Blades has asymmetric character powers, uh, which are which which are somewhat asymmetrical, right? We're talking about Spirit Island, which is very asymmetrical. Uh, we're talking about so many things, right? We're talking about Argent, the Consortium. We're talking about. Uh, the asymmetry involved in even terraforming Mars and the way that that starts off. So this is a very, and villainous, right? So we're talking, and, and as you might expect, I'm just looking at a picture. Yeah, that's fairly of, radical asymmetry. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of uh, my shelf right now, just, just to make sure that I've, you know, got this figured out. So that's there a correct, are so that's many a good way to do it. I just turn over to it, but you're, I don't, you're, you're, you can't, but. So, so there are so many different uh, ways that we could break down asymmetry because asymmetry uh, could be based on the way that the game starts. It could be based on sort of, you know, uh, the brass style of, uh, no, not necessarily. I was yeah, going to say, say a variable start, but not, not brass. Uh, but even games like Battlecon, right, where you're starting off and, and you're choosing like a, a fighting game character. Yeah. and I, I think that asymmetry was an important like genre or like mechan overall mechanic to a lot of the games we played uh this year because it it's something that kind of more aggressively kept me interested in things um just knowing that uh the next time I would play it would uh start out kind of like radically different and yeah, therein do you make have me um do you do you have a variance at the start of the game as as a as as one of these mechanics, no. So we, we could variants. we could argue that overall because that's definitely one of them, right? Yeah, startup variants. So yeah, but, but asymmetry but, 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 is variants also kind of imply though, like 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 Scythe has variants, for example, of like uh, modules. The Scythe add. has asymmetry too. Yeah, but but I'm talking about like uh, the startup variants involved in something like uh, food chain magnate. Uh, the sort of variants included in Clank, where the cards that come out at the start of the game are different. I'm talking about uh, Brass, where the markets are set up differently at the start of each game. Okay. Or yeah. should we just yeah? That, that, is, that, that is an that, overall different. Yeah, that I think that's a very different thing. Is is like uh, variant like starting conditions or variant like like just over like how could we term that like. Uh, when, when you start saying that, I think of something as variants, like like overall variants to gameplay. So like end goals, for example, drawing a 
uh, and a secret end goal or something would be a variant on the gameplay uh, as well Called, as uh, yeah, no, as well as what you're saying is like the var- like variants to beginning brass where where every time you play the game it's going to start out slightly different depending and give you a different starting puzzle while not being asymmetric the, that that is a different discussion and that also deserves to be on this list and that's more in the vein of every time you play the game it's going to be slightly different but it's not that doesn't necessarily mean anything asymmetrical and asymmetrical and, and do you out of curiosity, do you have, uh, and this is some inside baseball, do you have uh, this written down in like a Word document somewhere that you could share with me? I do. Right on. So now we've gotten the cloud involved. We've we've got the Google Doc open, and we're ready to go down some of these categories. Yeah, and I think so it's a lot better now. Off. I think even in a short time, it's gotten a lot better. So we're going to start off with best mechanic. And so we sort of... Started already to di- started already discussing asymmetry. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much of that stays. I don't know. We we've made this part somewhat complicated for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're flying by the seat of your pants. We have a lot to do. Maybe this award just doesn't work out yeah, the way so, I, that I thought so, it would. So no, let's start with asymmetry because I want to talk about some of the things that got me interested in playing board games again in the first place. So first off, the real first serious board game that I owned uh, was Dominion. And Dominion is a deck building game. And I really liked Dominion, uh, but I didn't really play it a lot. I didn't play it as much as I want because I don't know, it was just hard to get people together for it. Um, It it felt a little fiddly at times. So mostly, you know, it stayed on my shelf. But one of the first games that both you and I got really excited about uh, this year and, and really brought us into the fold was Gloomhaven. And the cool thing about Gloomhaven is that Legacy was a totally new mechanic to me. Uh, Legacy was this concept of like something happens in the game and it happens permanently. You're ripping up cards, you're opening up mysterious boxes. And this appealed to me in the same way that I guess uh, card games do, where I like the idea of opening up packs. And I also love this idea of of deck building. So that also brought me to the first game that I got really, really excited about this year, outside of Gloomhaven. And that was Millennium Blades, right? And Millennium Blades was a lot of things at once, where it is this deck building game, uh, it has this asymmetry, and you also get this, um, you get to bust open, like, packs, where you're, like, buying things, you don't know what they are until you flip it over and you reveal what it is, and it might be a card that's good for you or bad for you, and I thought that that was pretty cool and interesting. Um, so so the reason why this is kind of a challenging category for me mm. is I want to think about what were the games that got me the most excited about their mechanics this year and what did I, you know, what instantly drew me to a game based on those mechanics, right? Yeah. And asymmetry is really a big one for me because when I think about the games that got me the most excited this year, number one is 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 Millennium Blades because it has this asymmetry where you have these variable powers. It has this wild amount of variance also though. And, and variance is another mechanic that we have here. So, so maybe before I proceed too far and I jump the shark, let, let's just define the best mechanics. Let's go over them again. 
Okay, so so we have for best asymmetry, that- which is oh, go on. Oh no, you go ahead. So we have asymmetry, which is uh, each player starts out with different powers. Um, so think about this like your cosmic encounter, where everyone has a different alien race. Think of this like root, where everyone starts off as a different faction. Uh, think about this like a fighting game, like Smash Brothers, where you have like your own abilities and your the different actions that every character is uh, capable of taking over other people. Uh, so then, then there is deck building. Deck building is unique to board games for the most part. There aren't really video games that do this outside of a uh, Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire, which is like uh, so- it would have been probably my favorite game of the year. Uh, deck building is also something that you see occurring in roguelites, uh, such as um, um, Dead Cells, where you're collecting items and those items are added into the pool from which you can draw from. And they essentially give you access to new abilities as you proceed. That's a slight so in deck building sure. games, it is, it is, but the idea is that you're adding something to your pool of abilities. Uh, then you're drawing from a deck, and as you draw more things, um, you know, as you add more to your pool, you're getting access to new abilities. Yeah, and at its core, remember that deck building is something where typically the concept is you start out with a very basic thing, a, a very basic deck that is uh, intentionally kind of bad, and you're buying new cards, and as you buy these new cards or abilities or resources uh, and run out of that small deck that you have that starts out as bad, uh, Dominion obviously being the, the, the big... In the beginner example of this, um, you keep making a larger deck, which is running out, and then you're redrawing in the, from the new deck that you're creating, and also along the line, possibly removing cards that aren't working for you or removing the beginning cards. So it's overall like building a win condition through. So next deck up building. is yeah. So next up is social deductions. So this is a game uh, where there is hidden information and where. Uh, a portion of the game is usually about lying or just about obscuring information, making sure people don't figure things out. Examples of this are uh, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, uh, Secret Hitler, The Thing, and to an extent also Citadels, not really though, a little but bit. somewhat. Uh, then we have Worker Placement. Which is, a, which is a weird one to really define, but the idea of it is you have a set amount of dudes, and the dudes define what actions you can take. So you place down dudes uh, to take specific actions or to gain certain resources, and in doing so, you often prevent uh, your opponents from taking those actions or... Essentially, the idea of worker placement is that not only are you trying to figure out what's best for you, but you're trying to think, what do my opponents want to do? Because you want to place your dudes in places where your opponents want those things. Examples of this would be Viticulture, Anachrony, um, Everdell, Keyflower. Argent. Argent Consortium, Consortium. Which is probably one of the most like blatant examples. Uh, Yokohama is probably on this as well. In some way, in some fashion. Then we have Legacy, which is uh, Gloomhaven, which we've discussed. Uh, Betrayal Legacy and Charterstone. Uh, then we have Legacy. Variants. Yeah, Pandemic Legacy. Then we have Variants. So this is input variants. Essentially, uh, uh, the idea that games will be different uh, the different times that you play them. 
And then last, uh, this is a late addition to the list, but this area control. Area control is kind of a funny one, but think about this like uh, your Twilight Imperium or your Scythe. And to a certain extent, Food Chain Magnate, where you have a presence on the board and essentially you are vying for a presence on the board against the other players. Yeah. And when I look at this list, for me, I, I, I thought that asymmetry was the clear one, but I think we would be able to... I think that the things that pop out for me right now are asymmetry, legacy, which I think is a lot in part due to betrayal and some of the heat off of betrayal, and uh, maybe social deduction, because I think social deduction uh, is a mechanic that has performed like super well for our friend group. It's something that gets a lot of active laughs. You know what I mean? Like it, it's something where where yeah. we, where sure. so, social de- deduction games lead to a lot of instant fun with the the lying, betraying, yeah, not and, knowing and, if you can trust your friends. Thing- Another thing that's fun about social deduction is ways that that games can mix social deduction in uh, with their core formulas. So I'm thinking about um, the thing is definitely one of these where uh, you don't know if the people you're playing with have turned or not into things, in which case they're trying to sabotage your missions. And uh, similar to Secret Hitler, you're really not sure if people meant to sabotage it or if they didn't have a choice in making a bad move. Uh, And another one for social deduction for me that's big, um, outside of the obvious ones, is betrayal. Um, Because there are parts in betrayal, certainly in the prologue, and in a couple of missions thereafter, where you don't exactly know if there is a traitor or not. Yeah, speaking of which, I can't get get into that, but... Uh, betrayal of which, betrayal very, starts very out with a, a a real banger of a speaking like, of which yeah like betrayals betrayal legacy you starts like out with a yes absolutely betrayal legacy starts out with a prologue that could have and should have uh been boring um and it introduces a play on social deduction that i think is uh, so, so hip almost that that it it screws with the very concept of social deduction. I think that especially yeah. people that have played social deduction games, uh, w- when playing the first round of betrayal, might think that they know what's going on. Um, uh, that is the only game. The it's the only uh part of Betrayal Legacy that I have a- had the uh pleasure to play so far, and I it got a very good reaction from my my playing group. Yeah. Um, so, so, so so the thing is, I I understand where you're coming from, where you say that social deduction is, uh, you know, it's a good mechanic for you. The thing that's tough for me about social deduction is that I feel social deduction games play better at higher player counts. And those are harder for me to yeah, access. Yeah, that's true. That is so true. So when I'm thinking about best mechanics, I'm thinking about things that, uh, like, if I'm going to buy more a consistently? game, what, what's going to get me to buy a game more often? Yeah, and, and, and that's interesting, too, because social deduction isn't the kind of thing that's going to get me to buy a game. In fact, like, uh, if, if you tried to give me a 
party game that was, uh, you know, centered around social deduction, and I have Secret Hitler, and I, I really like Secret Secret Hitler, I, I probably, you're going to have a hard time selling me on that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the best mechanic, right? So this is a very hard category. So first off, I think that we should think about what uh, we want to remove from this list. I think um, deck builder. So I think deck builder can go because right away. Our right? deck builder and, and worker placement. Those are the ones that have to stay for me right now. You, oh, you're you're saying they have to stay. Oh yeah, they've got to stay for me. All right. Well, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say variance for me doesn't have to stay. And I'm going to also say that area control absolutely doesn't have to stay. I think that area control in general uh, hasn't worked out fantastically for our groups. I think dudes on a map, like, when I see dudes on a map these days, I don't know if it always leads to... You you know you can't bring that to my house. Because if you try to put dudes on a map with me and it's not Scythe, then I'm done. Yeah, a lot of dudes on a map just doesn't really work and 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 i see what you're saying with twilight imperium as area control because it is but it's not the best mechanic it's not something we're talking about something overall that is like and and like i said early on with this with this category it should it should be a defining mechanic in our player group it should be something that like you also said that you see as a a rule as a genre for uh, a game and it perks you up and area control just isn't going to do it for me and variance is like it's the it's important but it's a smaller not a mechanic i guess right it's a smaller thing it it, it is a mechanic but it's a smaller thing it's not something that i'm gonna it's not something that i'm gonna buy a game because of all right so let's talk about legacy legacy has Uh, to be on here or okay so we'll keep legacy asymmetry has to be on here. Absolutely. Those are those are my two that I, if I'm going to say anything like. All right. Legacy then we're cutting and asy- social deduction. OK, I, I, I said my piece for social deduction. It, it, le- it is a great mechanic that generally leads okay. to a lot of fun. So so let me talk to you about deck builder because deck builder is kind of interesting because. Oof, th- there there's another thing that I'm considering here, and it's tableau building which is not necessarily the same. Is that going to is that going to win against legacy worker placement, deck building and asymmetry? See, the thing is is when I think of building a tableau, I'll say this, building a tableau is like my favorite thing to do. It's it's weird, right? Because like when I think of like is Millennium Blades a deck builder? Yes. No, it's not. It's a tableau builder. Right? It's it's a tableau builder and in a sense, Everdell is a tableau builder. Well, it's right? not in a sense, but yes, it's totally. Um, Everdell is a worker placement tableau builder. And um, Food Chain Magnate is a tableau builder. It is a tableau builder. And that's okay. a whole. Okay, so that's a whole other so thing. So I'm that, removing that, deck builder. Okay, so that's a whole other thing that, d- that deserves its own explanation. Uh, tableau is a, like, similar to deck builder in that you are slowly getting pieces of this a of an like overall an puzzle game, the way. so a tableau builder also includes uh terraforming mars that would be also a tableau builder actually tableau is uh in a lot of the games that is in a lot of the games that we like tableau building is probably my favorite mechanic but i i love the way that so so the thing that's cool about tableau building 
is that when I think of, and, and this isn't even a mechanic that we have here, but the thing that gets me excited is I love the idea of building an engine, right? And so many of the games that we'd like well, to play. Yeah, are I mean, based like Space Base, right? Engines. Like Space Base is also a tableau builder. Um, when you are, and also, yeah, Terraforming Mars is, is, an, is a tableau builder like Millennium Blades. I love the idea of creating a combo out of what it is you've got on the table, essentially looking at it and saying, okay, based on what I've currently got, how do I score the points here? Right? Yeah. How do I how do I turn this? How do I convert this into points? And it, it's important. It's important to say tableau because with deck builder, it's kind of it's randomized whether or not you get that combo. With whereas tableau, it's kind of like you're 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 it's smaller. It's in smaller form generally. I guess like terraforming Mars uh, is the exception here. But you are putting a bunch of cards on the table that are giving you active or t- cards or anything that are giving you active benefits that work together to create an engine that are, that are kind and kind of important to that is that they're always kind of going. And yeah, because of that, you have a, because of that, instead of deck builder that has that random element of like, I have a combo that I'm creating and I hope it appears in my hand. Uh, Tableau is more of a consistent thing. Like you're building an engine and, and you're laying your, your, your cards out on the table metaphorically and possibly physically. Yeah, so I'm taking Deck Builder off of the list, and I'm going to put down Tableau Builder. So one thing that's kind of complicated, though, is that there are a lot of games that have both a worker placement and Tableau building element together. Uh, So those are games like Keyflower, right? Yeah. Uh, Where you're you're sort of doing both. Uh, Food Chain Magnate, though, Tableau Builder. I don't know that I can make an argument for worker placement. I'm saying that, I'm thinking that too is like, what? is worker placement going to be the one that is that going to be something that that is going to win against some of these other things at this point? I don't think so. It, not to say that worker placement isn't something that we get excited about, but now we're trying to narrow it down, and I don't know if worker placement hangs on that. Um, so for now, I don't know we if have, it hangs. Yeah, I, for now we have asymmetry, tableau, and legacy. Um, I think that asymmetry, I, I'm kind of shocked and I'm, I'm interested because when I wrote best mechanic, it was almost just to say like, what was the overall defining mechanic to the games we played that we loved? And I thought just asymmetry, asymmetry is what we love is you, you look at the, you look at like all the games that we get interested in and the games we play over and over again. And there is some uh, it, it, typically one of the most important parts of it is that there is like asymmetrical player powers and that makes people interested because they start out thinking about the whole game puzzle in a different way and then they get excited where when the game is over you maybe lose and you think I I, I, I can't wait to see what it's like next time and I think Gaia Project is is like a fantastic example of a game that we really came back to a lot where the asymmetry was the defining trait in that game for us is that you all play as different races and you're trying to create an engine and the engine that you're kind of kind of, you're creating from the beginning is kind of based off of these asymmetrical player powers and not to mention like something like root whereas like i i, I don't think that root is one of my favorite games this year at least in the plays i had but maybe conceptually it is just because i love that radical asymmetry i love the idea of a game where everyone is playing so asymmetrical that when you play the game you think 
I, I kind of want to see, I, I want to either do my thing better next time, or I want to do something completely different. And because of that, that's something that really keeps you coming back to it. Absolutely. And, and that was definitely one of the things that I loved about Gaia Project. Um, thinking about like, I've already played this race and this race. Now I got to see what the next race holds. Um, but if if Root is the cornerstone of asymmetry or like that is like that, it's obviously a, a great and powerful example like of <coughs> asymmetry. But the thing about that also is it can be very hard to teach six different sets of rules to one person. I don't know if that's a necessarily like a huge consideration i guess it could be so definitely on repeat playthroughs i could see why why asymmetry is like great i think i think if you're gonna if that plays if if we're even going if we're if the if the expanse of the meaning of this award best mechanic goes that far and i don't think that i would argue that that it could go that far then that would put me really far into legacy because one of the things i think is the coolest concepts in legacy is that legacy games are on average really easy to teach they're very simple because because they they don't introduce all their yeah so so you kind of start off like like i like playing that first game of betrayal it didn't require a 20 minute hold on everyone shut up because i need to explain how this works it required a quick 5 minute primer of like here's how these kind of things work if if a rules thing comes up i will uh weigh in on it but otherwise uh everything's simple and that was something that i liked about charterstone that was something that yep. i liked a, 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 a whole lot about charterstone cuz that was something where charterstone starts out brain dead simple and then it's really constantly throwing the, rules the at you Counterpoint, uh, legacy games are challenging because you need to get everybody back. That's true. Right? You, you, you play with the same people, <clears throat> and that can make legacy games very challenging to get to the table. So when I think about getting new legacy games, I think about <clears throat> who am I going to play this with? Am I already playing a legacy game with these individuals? Um, and, and some games kind of circumvent that, right? Gloomhaven, as an example, you don't need to always have the same people at the table. Kingdom Death, you don't need to have the same people at the table. But for some of these well, games... Well, Kingdom Death is, can, is campaign. Out. Yeah, so for... But for some of these games... Um, yeah, so fair. Kingdom Death, yeah. But for a lot of these games, like Charterstone, like uh, Betrayal Legacy, um, and and mm. probably like Pandemic, right? You need to have the same players at the table. Okay, so you're leaning with Tableau. So, yeah, it's just that when I think about what what gets me excited. Um, I try to think about mechanics that can be enjoyed um, all the time at different player levels. So that's why uh, social deduction doesn't work for me. And that's also a reason why legacy doesn't work for me as an overarching mechanic that gets me excited about games. Because when I look at social deduction games and I look at legacy games, I think about uh, what does my party size look like for this? Who needs to be around for this to work? And for this to happen. Okay, so I cannot believe that this is going to happen, but I I, I didn't think, uh, I don't think of t- Tableau as a best mechanic. I didn't even include it on the list to begin with. But when I think about the games we played this year and stuff that really interested me, it, Tableau was in it a lot. So, and given that argument that 
the, there, cause there is other things to do with legacy of, of it's more difficult to get together, requires the same group of people, um, constantly. Um, so it's not something you can just break out at different player groups and stuff like that. Um, but it makes for some great moments, right? Like it, like legacy leads to some excellent things. It leads to some excellent, uh, emergent storytelling. Um, it's, it's worth noting. I think that legacy is also one of the things that both got us really excited about board games. Cause it's kind of like a video when, game holdover, right? Like it's a, it is, like, right? like, like it's, you, it's a you want like a progression. It, progression is, is kind of important to people coming over from video games, I think. Um, and I think that, yeah. But yeah, when I think about like Tableau or like engine building is not necessarily the same thing as Tableau because engine building uh, includes um, more conceptual ideas. Well, yeah, engine building is deck building, Tableau building, worker placement. All of these are engine building. But the thing that's great about Tableau is it's really fun to put things in front of you, right? So like Castles of Mad King Ludwig, you're building a tableau. You're you're essentially putting together this this thing in front of you. And, and that's like even one of the most exciting things about Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It's the idea that you're taking a piece out of the center of the board and then it goes in front of you. Same thing with Keyflower where where, where, it, where that's what it's about, right? It's about taking something out of the table that everyone can see and putting it in front of you. And to a certain extent, this that's what uh, Terraforming Mars is about, right? Yeah. But yeah, definitely definitely not... Is it a dark horse? Like it's, I, I, it, I did not think Tableau like would win, but I, I'll give it up for Tableau, for sure. I, I The way you put it, and also thinking about the games that have tableau building and how much i like a lot of those games i I didn't necessarily think of tableau building as a defining trait in those games but maybe i should have so tableau the best mechanic i yep i am already impressed with the way that this is going because i just did not think that was going to win all right, so that's one hour. So we've only got uh, another ten hours to go. On yeah, maybe this. we can maybe we can <laughs> move slightly faster through some of these because I think some of these don't require no as much conversation. But we're moving on to best expansion. Um, what we have right now is Scythe: Rise of Fenris, Clank in Space. I put a question mark, but I think that it deserves to be on there. Uh, Millennium Blades: All Expansions, Terraforming Mars Prologue. Ter- which is uh, terraforming mars has a bunch of things but i thought prologue was just the like die hard uh if you're gonna own terraforming mars own prologue god damn it um uh terra mystica fire and ice we haven't screwed around us as much uh i don't know if you were gonna fight for that uh root river folk you put on that um and uh arjun the consortium mansers of the university um for best expansion, since a lot of these require a little bit more subtext, uh, best expansion, it should go without saying that this should be something that you can't live without. This is this should be something that uh, you don't want to go back uh, after having played this, and uh, you consider the game more complete now. That, that the yeah. game, that even if you didn't know... Before the game, before this, the game was incomplete, and now it is complete. So, right off the bat, so, right there, off the there are some of these that I need to cut, but I, I do want to go over them because they're ones that I put on, 
and I want to give them their time and give them their space because I definitely think that a lot of these are are definitive and necessary to play with. So let's let's cut a few to start with. So Root River Folk is, I think, the first one. Yes. Uh, that's worth cutting. Yeah. I like the River Folk expansion. I think that it comes with some really great components, um, but it's. It's it's weird, right? Because in an asymmetrical game, it, it's weird to say you don't necessarily need these extra factions. At some point, you will need them, but you can get a lot of mileage out of Root with just the base game. And there's nothing. The Root Riverfolk expansion includes two new asymmetrical races, right? You don't necessarily need those races to enjoy Root. And there won't be a time where you say like, oh, I'm never going to play a game of Root without the Lizards or without yeah. the Otters. I would, I would also say that the Riverfolk may have in a strange way been against Root because uh, maybe if it were more stuck to its guns and it was this core of there are four expansions, uh, there are four uh, uh, different factions and they play radically different and maybe tried to have people spend more time understanding those that the they could that those people playing it could have gotten to a deeper meta game that could have been more satisfying which is the kind of the thing that that hurts root for me uh whereas uh the river folk expansion just seems like a band-aid onto like uh root doesn't for for all the asymmetry, root doesn't last as long as it should because of some core problems. So Riverfolk was like, well, if those aren't working, then you try at you know five or six players, and you try and put in the otters and see how those play out, or the cultists and stuff like yeah. that. I don't was, I don't uh, think that it was. It's also worth noting that the kicks that the uh, Kickstarter version of the game came uh, with Riverfolk for free. So, you know, it wasn't like an after the fact uh, expansion or addition the way that a lot of these other games are. Yeah. So next up, I want to cut Clank in Space. Oh, wow. Because Clank in Space is not an expansion. Yeah, I, 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 I wrestled with that, but I also think that it deserved to be in this slot. So Clank in Space has an expansion. And that expansion is called Apocalypse, but I don't think that that is... Yeah, but uh, I mean, it, it's interesting because it's... It, yeah, it's not fair. Clank and Space is a standalone game, uh, but it it's still a... It's a standalone game of Clank that I would never want to go back to old Clank because of Clank and Space. Okay, but that's like saying that you don't want to go back to Terra Mystica after playing Gaia Project. Yeah, or like saying I don't want to go back to uh, Lancashire after playing Birmingham. Which I haven't so, played. Clank in Space so. is a good game, but Clank in Space doesn't belong as a best expansion. Okay. Uh, Argent the Consortium, Mansers of the University. So this is a, a, a sort of adds more variance into the game uh, and adds, if you like Argent the Consortium, this is more Argent the Consortium. Uh, so what it is doing is Argent the Consortium is a worker placement game where where there is a variable board in the middle that has all of these different uh, rooms in them, and you're using these different schools of magic to compete, uh, to score the most points, and to get the most votes to become uh, the next Dumbledore of the university. So Mansers of the University adds a few new things. It adds uh, new starting characters, so more asymmetry. 
uh, a new type of worker, which is the uh, technomancer. Essentially, they uh, get to convert gold into research. So, you know, transmutation, right? Technomancy. Um, but most importantly, what Argent the Consortium Mansers of the University adds is it adds a ton of variance in terms of um, these sort of different flavors that you can attach. They add modifiers in the same way that Scythe uh, does, where Scythe sort of has these, these flavors where in Argent you have this thing where it's like, okay, so this game you're playing the well of knowledge. Uh, so every round players are going to get access um, to more mana or, or at the beginning of each round, players are going to instantly research a spell or, or they might have a different variant where it's like, okay, this, uh, in this game, the Archduke is visiting. So if you go to, uh, this room, you can buy a staff and then you'll have access to these powers. So Mansa the university is really cool because it adds uh, a ton more replay value to the game because each game you play, uh, you get to insert these different variants into it where you're saying, okay, the the entire flavor of this game is going to be different because I'm adding this, um, you know, I'm adding assassins into the game or I'm adding the well of knowledge or these different things or the uh, arcane tools or something. So it's really cool. And I think that you would not play Argent the Consortium without it but I don't think that it stands as strongly as these other games on the list. So I'm not cutting this game because I think that it's bad. I'm just cutting it because I think there are stronger contenders and you're not going to be arguing for it. So that's that. The next game that I'm cutting uh, is going to be Terra Mystica Fire and Ice because I haven't had enough time with it. Uh, but it is really cool because it gives you two new boards to play with. Um, and I think one of the issues with Terra Mystica is that it has a fixed and static board, uh, unlike Gaia Project, where the board is modular. Fire and Ice adds six new races, which is a massive amount of content. It also adds some really complex and interesting races, uh, like the shapeshifters who take on the powers and who take on the, um, the land of other races in the game. So they're really cool. Um, but I haven't spent enough time with Termistica Fire and Ice to argue for it over other things on this list. Okay. <clears throat> so we're down to Terraforming Mars Prologue, Ex Millennium Blades All Expansions, and Rise of Fenris. I don't think that Rise of Fenris is going to hang here either. Um, uh, I primarily played that. I th we got a chance to play it like once or twice um, in only one setting. Uh, and uh, Rise of Fenris adds a ton. Uh, it's done really well. Uh, it's kind of like half legacy. It was intended as a resettable legacy. Um, I really like the story. I'm impressed when a board game actually has a narrative that I'm interested in because for the most part, the narratives are not what drive uh, board games, even when they're legacy or campaign. Um, and uh, the new components are good. And it basically adds... And the races are great. Yeah, yeah the, the races new, are great. Um, and I think it also is a really interesting uh, mechanic uh, or an interesting uh, expansion because it was kind of the uh, the end all to Scythe where it kind of threw in every single possible expansion or module that you'd want. And in a really cool way, it allows you to to uh, it gives you the official rule set for modifying Scythe 
in the most possible ways that you'd ever want. It it allows you to change the end game conditions. It gives you new classes, uh, new uh, like tons of new things to deal with. Some of them are like weirder throwaway, like uh, this mechanic where you're able to like ally with a another person. Um, but overall, I uh, really like the story, and I really like the way that it it, it uh, presented all the modules. So it, it hit everything legacy style. And when you went through the story, you'd basically unlock with each part of the campaign. Uh, you would unlock a new module, and I think that's an awesome thing to do uh, for players, especially huge fans of it, because the idea of, let's get into the next game of Scythe, because I'm going to see a new possible variant on playing this entire game, is really fascinating, is really, really interesting. Um, But I I don't necessarily think that it's going to win against uh, Millennium Blades, which I think you would fight really hard at, and Terraforming Mars Prologue, which I think I would fight at harder than Scythe Rise of Fenris. Because So let me tell you this. Yeah. So so let's get into this because I do want to say my piece on Millennium Blades. I don't think that set rotation, which is the big one, is so important. The thing about Millennium Blades is that when you get Millennium Blades, you are already getting such a dearth of content. And set rotation uh, is the same sort of situation as Argent the Consortium, where set rotation is more Millennium Blades. The other thing that it gives you is uh, solo mode. And solo mode didn't even make it onto best mechanic. So I'll let you know this. I have never played uh, solo mode. So the solo mode in set rotation doesn't get me that excited. So it has a solo mode, it has a co-op mode, but those aren't like the things that I think are very exciting about Millennium Blades. So I'm actually not going to be arguing for set rotation. Wow. Because I think the winner of this category is Terraforming Mars Prologue. And I thought so too, because Terraforming Mars Prologue fit the entire bill for everything that I said before that. Uh, Terraforming Mars is not the same game without Prologue. It is a massive fix to a game that people already liked that is so important to me that I would not consider playing Terraforming Mars without it. Uh, To explain how this works, uh, Terraforming Mars is a tableau builder like we talked about. It is an engine builder. And the way that Prologue works is that in the beginning of the game, you are choosing a faction to begin with. Um, which is going to, you know, start you off with like an asymmetrical faction, which is going to start you off on which direction you're going to go for your engine building. But the really important thing with Prologue is that it gives you a huge kickstart to your engines that makes the game uh, more fun to play from the very beginning, that makes the game a little bit shorter, that makes the game a little bit more intense from the beginning. I, I just think that uh, if you're ta- if we're talking about expansions that you could not live without that like fixed a problem that maybe people didn't even know or maybe people didn't e- people maybe would have been fine with terraforming Mars before prologue but terraforming Mars prologue is essential to buying terraforming Mars I could not imagine someone owning terraforming Mars without owning prologue I could not want to terraforming Mars is a game that I like that if someone said, hey, do you want to play Terraforming Mars? I don't have any of the expansions. I don't have Prologue. Uh, that would probably be like, well, let's, let's play something else because I, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing that. that that's too slow. Uh, it's too random. I think Prologue also cuts down on the randomness 
of drawing cards because it gives you enough to go off uh, from the beginning that you can start doing some bigger things and moving on to uh, like bigger aspects and more fun parts of the game. Uh, it's a really amazing yeah. expansion. It's, it's it's cool to make choices right away. It's uh, it's required. My favorite part. It is it is required, and it's such a small box. That that is like one thing that's kind of funny is like it's also the tiniest expansion on this list. I think it's like a fifteen dollar expansion with just a handful of cards in it. Yeah, but they change the entire game in such a way that the game is not complete without it. So that is good because we don't have to argue. Okay, so the next award is the Ian O'Toole Award for Best Art Presented by Ian O'Toole. And surprisingly, Ian O'Toole, uh, despite all of his amazing art that I think he's going to win next year, uh, uh, didn't necessarily make it onto the list this year because uh, despite my recognition of Ian O'Toole as probably the best artist in the game, um, I don't think we played a lot of stuff with Ian O'Toole. Specifically, uh, our current uh, our current nominees, and this is art... So this is not components. Um, this is purely like art that is on boards or cards. Uh, what about the box? Yeah, Bar- art that is on boards or cor- ca- cards or box. Let it, it's two D. This is two D. Okay. This is two dimensional okay, art. See, this yeah. is typically so, drawn. Let me just adjust this because I, I didn't realize that style and art were different. So, yeah, because yeah. All right. Okay, so. So what do you got? What we have right now are Root, Brass Birmingham, which I don't think, I already don't think uh, hangs, even though I like it has good art. I think it has good art. Everdell, which I think does hang. Uh, Villainous, which is good. Uh, Charterstone, Millennium Blades, and Argent the Consortium. Um, If we're, like we have been doing, uh, we're giving nods to games that deserve nods, but uh, to narrow this down really quickly, Brass Birmingham has great art. It has, uh, I, I appreciate stuff like having a day and a nighttime board. Uh, I appreciate all the little bits of art. I think that's really done well. I think the card art is really good. Uh, I just don't know if it's uh, as important to the overall work as some of these other games. I think Villainous has... Is it because we're weebs? No, because no. Can we can it not win because we're weebs? That's not or why. Or what's the reason why Brass can't win? Because we because we love cartoons too much. No, because I don't think Villainous is going to make it either, and that's the Disney card game. Um, I think Di- Villainous has uh, great art and great components and everything. I think that the uh, card design is amazing, uh, and the uh, card pictures take stills of uh, Disney, uh, which I think is really important to the overall game because it's nostalgic. Um, even then. Uh, I don't know if it's fair that it hangs in best art because uh, the art is uh, taken from different Disney movies uh, largely and repurposed for nostalgia and uh, the card art itself and the card, you know, like typeface and everything is very slick, but I don't think it's going to win in art. Uh, Charterstone could possibly win because Charterstone, or at least it hangs for a little bit because Charterstone is something where, uh, you initially sold, sold it to me as just take a look at it and you will be interested. Charterstone, uh, has a kind of gorgeous art, a very clean, 
um, nice lived in kind of world. It's something that like, I like every little bit of art. I like the style of these little kind of chibi characters that it uses. Um, so I do like Charterstone's art. Millennium Blades has a ton of art. So that is also a very interesting. But, but I feel like it works better in best style because the thing that I like in Millennium Blades is the way that it nods to other collectible card games. Okay. That's not to say that the art isn't good. I think the art of Millennium Blades is really good, but I don't think that it that it makes it into best art. Uh, Argent the Consortium is probably the same sort of thi- thing where stylistically good and interesting, and I sort of love the way that it blends uh, a Harry Potter vibe um, with with a with an anime vibe i get into that but yeah i mean i love level 99 for that kind of stuff not enough right yeah so and and also i think that millennium blades does a stronger job on it than argent does uh which also means that argent might not appear on other on other uh parts of this discussion so that means that the ones that are left are root brass Everdell, Villainous, and Charterstone. So I don't know that I need to... I I have no argument here uh, for keeping Villainous. Um, It has some cool components. Uh, If you like the... um, The... the, uh, What do you call it? The pieces that represent... We have components. We have components as the next Um, award. I don't like the box very much. And uh, other than that, it, it is just a lot of art that you've already seen. Yeah, so uh, that's why I, I also don't think it hangs there. And and I, I, I still think that Brass, like, I love Brass to death. Um, does it hang? Does it hang alongside? that? Like, like I, my main thing is, does it hang alongside Root and Everdell? And my answer is immediately no. So the games that we have left are all adorable, uh, which are Root Everdale and Charterstone. Is Charterstone going to win uh, this award? I would say no, because as much as I said that it's a cute lived-in world, uh, I just don't think that it works as well uh, as Everdale or Root. I think the the art in Everdale and Root are so saturated into the actual game that... That like Charterstone is so pretty, but at the same time, it's not very memorable. It's kind of bland, right? Like it's pretty and, and bland. Characters, the characters are kind of weird looking, and they're all just a little too fat. And I guess that does it for Charterstone, folks. Next up is uh, Everdell versus Root. And here's the fight. Because I think Root wins this. Um, Everdell is awesome. And it's really pretty. And and the thing that, that's also kind of challenging is both of these games have a similar style. Sort of They're woodland art. They're woodland, but root. I I like root more because I love the sort of fusion of of the idea of like these animals are militarized. Yeah, um, but also uh, Everdell goes for a more realistic style, whereas uh, root goes for a very stylistic, uh, unique, really unique, um, almost cartoonish uh, style of these these uh, animals. And maybe it is Root to, to, to 
win the whole category because Everdell is really gorgeous. I don't want to just throw it away like it, it it just loses to Root immediately, but maybe it does just lose to Root immediately because Root's style is infectious. It, it's it, it or it's oh we're not talking about style roots oh, art is infectious uh the art is gorgeous and it's uh completely uh like it's unique to root you can see root artwork and instantly know that it's root um more so than even everdell um and i think that there really was like it is it is unique art uh, that works for the game better than almost anything else. And, and and I think there's also something to be said about the way that Root kind of puts these interesting uh, uh, scenarios together uh, on the cards, almost, of, like, these adorable woodland creatures killing each other in really cute ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I look at, like, my shelf, I have uh, the Everdell art more prominently displayed, but but I think that's specifically because I have the collector's edition and I have the sleeve that goes over it. Uh, the, I know it sounds kind of funny, that, but I like the idea that it's just tree. like this, this very plain-looking box is very nice and sleek. Yokohama didn't make it here, and I really love the art of Yokohama. Yeah, Yokohama is really good but I just want to throw that out there where it's got like a very crisp, clean style, a really ugly... The thing about Yokohama, it's got this very beautiful box, and then it has this giant logo of a dragon on the box that ruins it for me. The box art is super-duper beautiful, and then there's just this dumb TMG logo. Okay, so I guess we're saying the best uh, art... The Ian O'Toole Award for Best Art presented by Ian O'Toole goes to Root and Kyle Farron, the artist. Good thing you already had his name here. I, I I already had his name because it was not a... This was one of those awards that I didn't think would have a ton of conversation because I think that we would we were eventually going to get to that, uh, that, that climax. So our next award being Best Components, I don't think that there's... That it's that weird that uh, there are... Uh, similar games being nominated just because they're games that uh, obviously cared overall about the presentation a lot. Uh, right now on the list, we have Everdell, Root, Kingdom Death Monster, which is, uh, that's hard, that, that maybe deserves to be on there and maybe doesn't. Uh, Villainous, Terraforming Mars, Spirit Island, Lovecraft Letter, and Azul. Now, if I'm, so... Okay, this this is this is hard. Um, I th- I think that I think that the immediate way that I would uh, lower this list down is that villainous maybe doesn't need to be on there, and terraforming yeah. Mars also might not need to be on there. Terraforming Mars definitely doesn't. I I'm not sure if that's there as a joke. But terraforming <laughs> no, I, Mars I, I like has some of the components of terraforming. Components. Terraforming Mars has crap components, dude. I bought the, I had to buy the insert to fix the problems of Terraforming Mars's components. All right, so, and I think Spirit Island maybe also doesn't make it on there. It does have a lot of interesting components, but uh, some of those those tiny little men are wonky and bent because they are just uh, okay. skinny plastic. Uh, I yeah, also so- think that they don't. I don't know if they fit like. 
the game as much. They look kind of weird at first glance, um, but I, yeah. I I just thought of it as like an interesting game component wise. So if we're narrowing it down immediately, Everdell is a is a monster in this category. Root has com- has very nice components that I think are even Ooh, more. I think that they're even more important because the components in Root uh, are important to the gameplay because you need to be the Root, the way that the screen uh, printed meeples work is that not only are they cut out in different ways, but they're different colors that that makes them kind of immediately recognizable at a glance, as well as the uh, meeples versus the cardboard. Um, I think that that is interesting that they kind of follow different rules. Um, KDM is hard to say because it's something that you pay a ton of money for and you have to build the components, uh, the, for it, but, uh, they are, uh, very nice components for the amount of money you have to spend on them. Um, uh, Azul is a game that kind of lives on its components. I think that was the initial thing that got a lot of people interested. So I think that deserves to be on this list and Lovecraft, Lovecraft Letter is a game where the components are uh, so far above and beyond what you'd ever expect uh, to be in that game. Opening opening that game is a moment. Op- if you, yeah, if you're the yeah. Owner of that and you open it, and it, it is like immediately impressive because of of the weight of the poker chips they give you, uh, the size and gloss and sheen of the of the really beautiful slick cards, and also they give you they give it to you uh, they give you sleeves for the cards that are uh, that are also components. They're not sleeves. They're not yeah. just regular sleeves. They have uh, it, it, a a back of uh, like a Cthulhu back, and then also the box yeah. itself is a unbelievably gorgeous small box with a magnetic closing hinge that has like a velveteen inside like a velveteen insert velveteen insert yep so Uh, so okay so you can you can take lovecraft letter off this list over my dead body for the time being um so let me hit you with something i don't think root belongs on this list okay because it doesn't about that okay Uh, because root has a lot of cardboard um, that that doesn't really blow me away. Um, and also, I think about Root compared to Everdell, and it's not even close, right? Where Everdell has... The okay, meeples. This it has meeples. This isn't necessarily fair, because Everdell, we are playing with the premium version of the components. But whatever. That's the version that we're familiar with, so that's... Okay, can, 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 I, can I add on to best components premium is not a redact is not something that takes away from it if if they if there is official premium components that are nice then that is a part of it so all right so let me hit you with this everdell uh gold heavy coins squishy berries uh hard little round slick pebbles uh you got those sticks that roll around you've got the tree which you put together, you've got the meeples, which are the same quality as root meeples. And, and honestly, if this were for a single best component, then root here has a shot. But as a package, I don't think root wins. Okay. Um, KDM has really good components. I still don't know if it's fair to put it on this list. Uh, I also don't know if uh, good minis are enough. 
uh, for this list because it's best components. And when I think of best components, when I think of even Everdell, which is not necessarily a you know multi thousand dollar game the way that KDM is uh, or can be, um, I I I think that. Everdale is a standard here. I think that Lovecraft Letter is a standard here. I think that Azul has great components that uh, definitely drove it to the top to for people to recognize how good a game that is on its own. The tiles are have got a nice weight to them. They uh, click around in the bag very well. Um, the bag itself is gorgeous. Uh, the art of everything is, is really gorgeous. Um, but... Okay, actually, I don't want to take. I, I think that off I think yet. that for a game to win this, um, a game cannot have a bad, a bad component. Com- component. So villainous is off of this list, and because uh, the boards are not good. All right, um, I, I I'm gonna take KDM just because I I don't know if it deserves to be on this list now that I'm looking at it. Uh, Azul... That insert. So if this were for best insert, this would be a different story. Um, Azul, uh, has really good components. Maybe it's, maybe I don't want to say that Azul is out yet. Um, Everdell, Lovecraft Letter, and Azul, uh, Lovecraft Letter, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Letter, I, okay, I'm going to take Azul off right now, and the reason why I'm going to take, uh, Azul off right now is because with Everdell and Lovecraft Letter, those are two games where the components are actually, like, they, they they give a moment of pause for how in, in, amazing they are. So when I was playing your edition of Everdell and I picked up one of the berries uh, and I, I squished it in my in my my fingers, that is certainly a moment to be like, really, you guys got a you guys got squishy berries sticks that are model like sticks and roll like sticks pebbles that are like pebbles you've got like uh this this massive uh tree that kind of guides you along with the uh movement of the game uh you've got uh the this like you've got great linen and and the linen finished cards should also be uh considered here but lovecraft letter has those too um so everdell has amazing components like jaw-dropping components there's nothing bad about everdell's components you can't even like they are seriously components that that uh i can't imagine someone playing that game without having uh for the first time without having a uh a a little while to like process those components to like pick up some of them and then feel them and think like really wow you got they this is amazing that they went this far um and then in the same uh direction lovecraft letter i think also is amazing in that no it it, uh it is it's just like it goes so far above and beyond what it would have ever needed to have that it's absurd so as the owner of both of these games this is a tricky one okay so can i can i tell you my winner here for me it's lovecraft letter i think it's lovecraft letter right Lovecraft Letter. Okay, so Lovecraft Letter was, uh, we. I remember. I remember specifically opening up Lovecraft Letter, uh, because you were at Priya's that time. You had just come over, and it was later on in the night, and we were saying, "Can we play Lovecraft Letter?" We just wanted to open it up. We open it up, and every piece of that 
presentation of opening up Lovecraft Letter was in itself possibly more worth Lovecraft Letter than the actual price or even the game overall itself. Like, such good components that Priya, you, and I were, like, passing around the chips and, like, wow, they included uh, card... They included the the card protectors that have... That card holders that have, like, the artwork on the back and the cards themselves are gorgeous, large, like, tarot-sized linen-finished cards that have great artwork. And then for the inside of the game to have a uh, velvet-finished insert with a magnet... Like, you can never go wrong with a magnetic closing... uh, uh, board like that or magnetic but closing. it also fits the style of the game like so much more right because it's a lovecraftian game that comes in like a tome and uh the card backs have letters on them because it's a game about sending out letters so the actual it, it, it not only does it um not only is it beautiful and not only does it feel high quality but it also fits the aesthetic of the game yeah, Lovecraft Letter feel, and and I think there's also something to say about uh, Everdell. Uh, maybe it does come into consideration that Everdell is uh, more money. Um, you you want to get the uh, premium edition of it uh, to have these great components, whereas Lovecraft Letter is a cheap game that goes like that does not feel cheap. It is a game that, like, you could have said that it was double the price, and I would have said, like, yes, of course you bought a deluxe edition because uh, how could a how could a small game like this be so beautiful? Uh, wait, you know what isn't on best components is Secret Hitler. That's definitely a game with great components. Um, does does Secret Hitler actually? Win. Okay. It doesn't, right? I mean, it, it's got great components. But... If, Lo- if Lovecraft Litter is going to win anything, then it's going to win the uh, jaw-dropping 10 minutes or so, which is probably longer than anyone should have to look at Lovecraft Litter. I, I, I'm not not saying anything bad about the game. I'm saying, like, literally, if you're going to open Lovecraft, Lovecraft Letter and put it away immediately without playing it, if it takes you 10 minutes to look at the components and have to pass around things for people to feel components, then that probably means something. Also, uh, Secret Hitler doesn't have card backs or a velvet insert. No, because Lovecraft Letter goes that far, right? Love Lovecraft Letter is insane because it doesn't just stop at components. It stops at, like, every single aspect of it. it, it the, the, the actual box of it, the insert the components, the cards, like, there is not a... You can't deduct a single point off of any aspect of Lovecraft Letter's presentation. Um, so it, it just... It probably should have to win. Next up is Best Style. So uh, Giant Bomb struggled with this, and we stole this from Giant Bomb. Uh, they stole everything else from us, so we're allowed to. Uh, but... This is. I haven't heard the latest stuff yet, so. Uh, uh, so, so this is a complicated um, thing because it, it's still an important award, but uh, best style probably means in the board game realm uh, a combination of world building art and the like immersion 
felt. That's kind of the way that I thought of it as like. This a, could also mean like, is it more than theme? It, it, it How is, is like, it different yeah, from theme. It, it is. It is kind of like. It is kind of like theme, but it's it's also uh, theme tied in with everything else, with art and like the overall world building. Maybe even uh, like the way that the world uh, uh, makes you feel. Um, so uh, take that for what it will. This is probably one of the most weird subjective uh, of our bizarre awards. Um, uh, we will uh, get into this, I'm sure, more as we talk about this. But for right now, um, what we have right now for best style uh, style is Root, Food Chain Magnate, Kingdom Death, Everdell, Gloomhaven, and Millennium Blades. Now... If I'm looking at this list right now, I have very bad news for you. I don't think that there's a single thing that I could take off this list by looking at it. Oof. Okay. So, do you need me to start making cuts here? Is that where this goes? Um. Okay. Do so... I need to tell you that Gloomhaven doesn't belong on this list? Uh, okay. Do I need to be the one to tell you that? That Gloomhaven, uh, for all of the cool and innovative things that it does, it is... A pretty standard and generic fantasy game. Yeah, you're wrong, and I'm not even someone who's gonna gonna like stick my neck out for for uh, Gloomhaven. But I think that uh, Gloomhaven does a couple of really interesting things uh, with best style in the sense of world building, art, and immersion. Um, now, immersion, not necessarily, but uh, and by the way, uh, Betrayal Legacy is not on this list, which is uh, gross. Okay, so you can put that on right there, and this the list just got a lot harder. This is a bad list to deal with right now for me because, uh, so so my argument for Gloomhaven, and I don't think it's gonna win this category, so maybe that is the argument against it, is that Gloomhaven does fantasy, but it doesn't do it generic. I think you're totally wrong. Uh, it does not just have horseshit elves and orcs. Uh, it it even creates new ra- races. Um, and I think that it also does a really nice play on dark fantasy and making it so that you're seeing the world of a kind of declining bad, uh, a fantasy world in which you might not actually even want to live, uh, uh, seeing it through the eyes of a kind of anti-hero of a mercenary that doesn't necessarily, you're, you're not in a fantasy world in the way that you typically would be where you're trying to save the world or destroy the world or anything like that. You are a very, uh, gray, you're in a very gray area from the very beginning where some shit is just bad and you kind of have to recognize that. And you also are in it for the paycheck and not making the world better. I think all those things kind of play into the style of Gloomhaven. And, okay. and because of that, I think so, that Gloomhaven... So we'll leave it on a little bit longer, but then I'm going to say we cut Everdell because okay. if you want to talk about uniqueness, then... Uh, for all of the, you know, like, do you feel immersed in Everdell when you're playing it? Do no. you feel okay? I'll, like part I'll, of the I'll within? Cut, uh, I'll, I'll and take also that. I'll take the cut. Root, Root is a stronger contender there, right? Where Root, uh, the, the the different aspects of the races uh, play into them more, right? Like the birds, like when you're playing like the uh, the vagrant, that's his name, right? The vagrant feels. Like an individual name? like character. Is it? It's Vigia. No, it's it might be Vagrant. Vagrant, right? Like, I don't know. 
it feels like a world inhabited by those like races. I like the idea of like the the cats being this like um aristocracy and also the way that those play into the um mechanics of the game, right? But is yeah. that enough? Yeah, yeah, that is enough to keep Root on this list. I don't think Root can go yet. Um Food Chain Magnate, uh I don't know if it if if some of these words fit for Food Chain Magnate. But holy hell! So, stop. If we're if we're looking at the initial like like when you without me saying that it's about world building, art, and immersion, the the term best style, I think food chain magnate is is a, a huge contender there. Uh, food chain magnate. So it, food chain magnate gives players their breakdown and their turn order and sort of the overview of the game in menu form. There's a menu. You hand yeah. each player a menu. And this then, is you know, a this is a fast food empire building game, and you literally are looking at the player aid as a food chain menu. Um, the art is phenomenal. Uh, I think you're insane. If anyone would be insane for saying the art is not fantastic, uh, it's kind of bland in a great way because it it plays into a uh, specific what like fifties. 1950s style 50s. of of like uh you know the color the pastel colors uh white as a large uh i mean white people um and white the color as a uh important color in the generation uh it reminds me of like a diner of like an old diner and it has really beautiful box art and i love that the box art also looks like an advertisement for a chain where it says things like uh with your choice of strategies yeah they they, they, they like... lean into that super hard and not not to mention like i don't know if this deserves to be part of this but the ketchup mechanic the ketchup Absolutely. the ketchup mechanic that i don't know that's a that's that a, works for that me is, that is a style so i i guess my question is i see that you have both kingdom death and gloomhaven on this list okay so if if we're looking at at these both then gloomhaven goes right away because uh, Kingdom Death is a uh, real style for me. Um, it, it is uh, the artwork in Kingdom Death is phenomenal. It's brutal. Uh, if we're talking about world building, art, and immersion, the overall style of a game that encompasses everything, uh, Kingdom Death has got a uh, absolutely all encompassing style. Uh, the style play the darkness of Kingdom Death plays into the uh, narrative. It plays into the world building. Um, Kingdom Death uh, is just a it is it is style personified to me. Um, yeah, it also wins uh, for most genitalia. It both has male and if, female. If you're gonna see gen, oh my god! If if we had a word for most genitalia, I haven't even shown it. If you do, you have any idea what you're what you're saying right now? Uh, I have a mini that is a sexy version of satan wearing uh a sexy female satan wearing skimpy uh halloween clothes sitting on a jack-o'-lantern that is filled with cocks um there is that like bowsette it's it's kind of like that uh there uh is a uh boss in kingdom death that is the sun stalker and it is a giant penis that flies in the air and yet here kingdom death is under best style (laughs) Uh, yeah. I'm... Let's take a moment to talk about Millennium Blades, though, because if Millennium Blades belongs in any category 
Uh, for me, it belongs in this one because under best style, one of the definitions you have is uh, world, well, world building and immersion. And I think that the mechanics in Millennium Blades uh, lend it to the best immersion and the best world building. No argument Millennium there. Blades is a game about playing a collectible card game. So in Millennium Blades, you're not actually playing the card game. You're, you're conceptually playing the idea of playing a card game. So the thing that I also love is just that it marries together so many cool and like fun IPs uh, where there are packs that are uh, about video games like Zelda and Final Fantasy. Uh, there is a set that is devoted to Harry Potter references. Uh, there are obvious and immediate references to Yu-Gi-Oh! and Hearthstone. Uh, there's a Dr. Boom in this game, which is pretty fantastic. And all of this is married together with like pretty awesome artwork. I don't I don't uh, think I don't even think the things you're saying need to be uh, addressed as much as the fact that like uh, best style world building art immersion um, uh, does Winnie does Millennium Blades kind of build a world? Uh, yeah, it kind of does because it's kind of like a world like Yu-Gi-Oh. Does Millennium Blades have consistent artwork? Yeah, it absolutely does because level seven, level ninety-nine has incredible artwork that is uh, consistent, and uh, they, these are the kind of artwork on cards where you're going to see a ton of artwork that is of a certain style. Um, also, does- it's mostly done by one guy, Fabio Fontes, and man, he on a recent podcast was talking about like. Yep, I'm doing the art for the new Millennium Blades, and uh, it's twice the size of set rotation. And he was just lamenting at how much he has to produce. It is such a big amount of just like images, right? Like yeah, well, it's, it's well, the world, amount. the world will thank you. But um, an immersion again uh, with Millennium Blades is it's not very hard. It's actually one of the, maybe the easiest to immerse yourself in a world where uh, you are pretending to play a card game because I have pretended to play a card game before. So it's very <laughs> easy to lose yourself in Millennium Blades as a as like, oh, I'm playing up a card. I'm playing a card game. I'm at a I'm at a card game store as a child and I'm opening packs and trading cards with my friends. And the last thing on this list is Betrayal Legacy, which you didn't even have uh, because you haven't given this game the time that it deserves. That it deserves. How amazing is it that, okay, Betrayal, the original game, came out before uh, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods is one of my favorite films. Um, and Betrayal Legacy really plays on this concept of Cabin in the Woods, where you are creating the origin story of all of the omens that are in the game of Betrayal. So you are the one who's creating the story around the way that the Betrayal house became the way that it is. And as you're going through the the, the game, uh, also one of the coolest things about Betrayal Legacy, and I don't know when we're going to have the time to talk about this, maybe under Cornerstone, but it is the amount of times that you're interacting with the legacy component and mechanics. The the idea that you're like creating family heirlooms and uh, you're starting to develop relationships uh, with the different 
people in your party and group like that definitely leads to like immersion because there are parts of the game that are social deductiony of like can i trust this person and can i trust this person's character there's information they have that i don't and i feel like all of this lends into this idea of world building and immersion because you are helping to create that world that you are building and in so doing also makes it immersive, right? Because you're actually a part of that world. And I think that's the definition of immersive. Yeah, I think it's amazing that the concept of betrayal is that you're starting out with a house that is not haunted and you're making it haunted through your actions. And the idea that like by the like like in betrayal, you're playing in these like super haunted terrible houses and in betrayal legacy you're getting to create your own player group story for why that house is horrible and it's horrible in a special way just for your group so based on the idea that we are thinking about world building and immersion i don't i don't think that route stays on this list okay because i think there's things that hang harder and unfortunately, for the same reason, I don't think Food Chain stays on this list. Okay, so... Which brings us down to Kingdom Death, Millennium Blades, and Betrayal Legacy. That's really tough. I mean, I think that, uh... Huh. I think that, um... Uh, man. I think that uh, Kingdom Death you haven't seen a whole lot of. Uh, I certainly love the style of Kingdom Death, which I think is something that has been uh a large part into buying me into that game so much uh but i also don't i i i think that i really like the millennium blades argument i really like the millennium blades argument for uh being the style of millennium blades playing a fake collectible card game and being immersed in the world of a fake collectible card game that's just so insane to me and it's done i will also say that Betrayal is beautiful for what it is, but it's not going to like knock your socks off in terms of originality. I think that Betrayal possibly has the best world building and immersion, like maybe. And if this category were maybe worded differently, that this would be a different discussion in which Betrayal Legacy wins. Because I think that it is uh, the most immersive, uh, probably one of the most immersive games available. Uh, and And I think that also it lends itself well to a crowd that's not familiar with card games but also you and i are are very much acclimated to the card game space and i think that for that reason um millennium blades resonates with us in a way that it might not uh to other people who would be discussing the same games i think millennium blades wins i think millennium blades wins it so millennium blades best style millennium blades also has a kickstarter coming out very soon and that's exciting. So best style goes to Millennium Blades with uh, if runner-ups are a thing, Betrayal Legacy and Kingdom Death. But runner-up well, isn't a thing. Well, I, I, get, I mean, we're... Only in, a lot of the, in a lot of these cases, we actually have uh, possible runner-ups just in the if in the, the face of the bolded text, kind of. But um, can't remove this highlighting. I know. Look at this. You're having a, you're just having a struggle. Best party game, Ryan uh man okay so best party game best game that uh has a large number of players uh probably implicit in this is that the players don't necessarily 
play a lot of games. Uh, it's probably important that the rules are light, that it can be understood immediately uh, without a extensive training uh, period. Uh, for the best party game right now, we have Citadels, Secrets, Secret Hitler, One Night Ultimate Werewolf, and Cockroach po- Poker. Now, when I look at this list right now, I say that Secrets is uh, not going to work at all. Uh, I also think that One Night Ultimate Werewolf, uh, if it's a specifically between you and I, I don't know if it'll work uh, either. One Night Ultimate Werewolf isn't going to... Uh, so I'll say this. Um, I'm not crazy about uh, hidden information. As much. I don't. The thing that I don't like about One Night Ultimate Werewolf and the thing that I don't like about Secrets is that sometimes you don't know your own identity. And while that can be like wacky and silly and fun, I feel like it leads me to having less agency in these games. Now, Citadels, I think, is a really good party game. I wish that it got more attention on this list, being that it's kind of one of the games that brought me... It's kind of the game that brought me into board games this year. Um, but so you I didn't don't... bring it over ever, so I guess yeah. uh, it's your fault. Yeah, um... Uh, I think this, I think this entire thing is between Secret Hitler and Cockroach Poker. I think it is, right? And, uh, Secret Hitler is a game that I would want to play more of if I had, if, if I had a group of seven people, I would rather play Secret Hitler. But if I had a group of four or five people... I would rather play Cockroach Poker. Cockroach Poker is great because you could play it at uh, different at different uh, player counts, and for me, that makes it a little bit more accessible than Secret Hitler. I guess, but we're um, not talking about accessibility. We're talking about best party I know, game. I know. Part, best, best party so game assumes have party, you have a party. If I have a party, it's going to be Secret Hitler. Yeah, it's this is this doesn't seem like a very hard award for me because Secret Hitler just was. I uh, love Cockroach Poker, and it's not going to get moments. Well, it'll maybe it'll get its time, but Cockroach Poker is great. I just played Secret Hitler at I played Secret Hitler at Christmas with my family, and how many players? uh, With six players, and ooh, just missed it. Seven is the. Seven is where it gets good. Yeah, I was hoping that we would have the seven because that's when you have the extra fascists. Uh, but uh, so actually, at seven, that's where. So one of the cornerstones of Secret Hitler, and this is worth putting under cornerstones. Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. Yeah, that's fascinating. So I didn't, I didn't get a chance to play with that. But uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, Secret Hitler. Uh, was a is was a, a banger for best party game. Uh, I just think it was outstandingly the best party game this year. This is almost a category created for Secret Hitler. Uh, it is so fun, so easy to explain, so simple. Uh, when I played it at Christmas, I played it with a non-board game family, and the reaction was really outstanding. Uh, I think that. Uh, I had a similar reaction uh, to Secret Hitler that you had the first time you brought it out uh, with us, and uh, we we played around, and people were like, oh, man, uh, wow, okay, so you were Hitler the whole time, and you were a fascist, okay, wow, um, but now they're starting to understand, and they're like, okay, let's go again. So we go again, and on the next round, people 
are liking it even more, but I'm supposed to leave at this point. So that one more, one more, let's just play one more. And we play one more and then we get done with that game. And I've already way past when I should have left. And one more, one more, just one, please like one more game. And this is my like non board game family. Nice. That, I that, mean, that, that sounds is, like that it could a, be a contender for, for best gateway. So let's get into best gateway. Yeah, but that's complicated. So this is a, so this is a challenging one because the point of best gateway is that it needs to be a game that gets people excited about playing other games, right? So what we have is we have Azul, Clank, Secret Hitler, Everdell, Santorini, Dominion, Citadels, Food Chain Magnate, King Domino, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and Splendor. So the problem with Secret Hitler on this list is uh, in order for a game to be a good gateway game, it has to introduce uh, people into mechanics they they want you want them to be excited about like other games right yeah and i don't think secret hitler hangs on this list secret hitler is great can you show me another game like it and then you show them resistance and resistance has similarities to secret hitler but it's not going to bring them into like well i have this game called twilight imperium and you can lie to people yeah um it doesn't work out uh when i think of best gateway i do think of games that you can so so to explain this category uh, the game that wins this category should be easy to understand but have complex thinky enough mechanics that someone who is like you know taken like non-board game players uh are experience this game and they say wow that was really interesting um what else is kind of like that and they start wanting to know more about board games um, I don't think Secret Hitler works there because I think that Secret Hitler, Secret Hitler would be more like people would love that game and then say, I want to buy Secret Hitler. But they're not going to say, yes. I want to try uh, something that's a little bit deeper because it doesn't really get them into anything deeper. Um, yeah, so I think Everdell is on this list. I think and, uh, Clank Everdell is, a- is Everdell's too hard. I think people will you look at so? it and, and think, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that looks, you know, it's a great looking game, but I I think that someone who doesn't know a lot about um, board games would get trounced in Everdell because Everdell's worker placement and in worker placement, one of the most important things to know is what are the valuable spots? And it's not always immediately obvious in this game. So I, I don't think that Everdell is a really great pick here. I, I, I think that there are better picks on this list. Um, Azul is interesting to me because Azul has been one that like I see it taking off super hard with people who don't necessarily know board games. Like my 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 family, like I play board games with my like my immediate family, like my sister and my mom. Um, I play board games with them, and we and like they're a part of like Charterstone and Betrayal. Uh, but Azul is the one that weirdly enough, my sister said just. Like I like I woke up on Christmas morning, um, at, at my house and my sister's there and I'm like we should play a game and I have I have like Railroad Inc and a couple other things and I'm like what what do you, what do you want to play and she's like Azul Azul is my favorite game. Fair enough. Um, so I have Santorini on this list. I think that it's a great game, but I I think that uh, I haven't seen it in gateway form, so I don't think that it stays here for that. Clank is complicated. I think Clank is uh, worthy to stay on this list before we take that off, just because 
I don't think Clank is that complicated. And I think an important part of this list is something like Dominion or Clank, where they don't necessarily require that much teaching, but they have deep enough rules that or deep enough concepts in the game that as the person starts mulling over these concepts, they will start to get they should start to get more interested in something else. Uh, the next thing the, like the, that. The, the reason why I think Dominion stays on this list is because if you're playing Dominion against someone who knows what they're doing, you you actually start to see and understand uh, the strategies that a strong player will use. And, and I think that they're easy to understand. So you say, okay, so you chose to do that because it allowed you to do this. And in seeing those, you also start to understand some of the... My dog is crying so much. Uh, you get I'm not picking. I'm not picking him up that much. That's good. Uh, so you get to understand some of the mistakes that you're making. So it's like, oh, maybe buying uh, six villages and just playing village, 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 uh, Ryan Kirby style. Maybe that's not the. Hey, best listen, you can pry that strategy from my cold dead hands. Yeah, I know. We all like to play. Um, but what, what was it? Miracle. What was that rogue? Miracle Rogue, that's the one, Miracle. Okay, so... Uh, we all like to play that, but that's not the winner. I'm going to say is, that Food Chain Magnate is a game that's going to... That it's not too... It's not It's not far away from a gateway game. It's not that complex, uh, at least so, to explain. The thing about Food Chain but is But I've that seen it be an anti-gateway game. Food Chain is also the kind of game where... if Where you could start losing and there's no catching up. And that, I think that's a that's that's terrifying for uh, gateway gamers. Uh, Where it's like, okay, here's a game that could last four hours, and if you make the wrong moves in the first couple of turns, you lose. And I'm just and I'm looking at these other things, and I'm saying, is King Domino going to be on it? King Domino is good because King Domino is a game that I can play with Alyssa, and that's fun. Okay, so you uh, have a, you have a good example it, for that. But I don't think that it hangs as well as Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is a more complicated <laughs> variant of King Domino uh, that I think is it, it has more rules. It's a little bit more complicated, but I think that it is so much more rewarding, like magnitudes more rewarding. I'll say that maybe it's like twice as complex as King Domino, but like 10 times as good. Yeah. Um and Splendor is so easy Splendor and can't slick. go. Splendor can't go. So uh, this list right now is way too big because yeah. it's Azul, Clank, Dominion, Citadels, Castles, and Splendor. Okay, so I don't think I'm. Ri- I think I'll part with. I would part with Clank before I'd part with anything else on this list. Okay, is so that fair? This is challenging because we have games that were gateway games for us right which are dominion and citadels yeah but i'm not i'm not looking at that necessarily so, like that can you argue for splendor can i argue for splendor um i don't know i haven't seen it in action as a gateway um because i know Alyssa played it and she won or she almost won um and I, I also think that Splendor is very... De- but she is, always wins. Yeah. I also think that Splendor is very... Yeah. Is an easy teach that is more complex. Um, does it not hang? For us, does this it is not hang? our list. So Clank is off this list. Splendor is probably off this list. Yeah. Because maybe we have it too is many off this categories. List. I don't even know that we finished this podcast tonight. We'll see. Um, we, we... Wow. Yeah, we maybe can. 
Um, um, so I I don't think Citadels. For even me, Dominion, Dominion and Castles are the ones that are mine. Those are those are my uh, proverbial dogs. Mine would maybe fight. be Azul. But may I don't know. May, but but does Azul make you want to play the next thing? Maybe I would say no. Maybe I'll say maybe if I if I had to give it to anything, I would say Castles because I think Castles is easy enough to explain, but so much more interesting and complex that I could imagine it being the thing that would get you. And, and I, I think Dominion's there too, but I think Castles is more so, especially because Dominion is a card game and Castles has that like physical, more physical component. And I think that's important to a gateway gamer to, to be playing and placing down these tiles and then to suddenly realize that like there's so many better choices they could have made that's so much more complex and they might want to immediately play it over again having understood it and uh that could be the kind of thing where it's also like yeah like castle of mad king ludwig is an easy castles is fun even if you don't win and i think that that also makes it that that is another thing is like I, i i i felt like castle like castles for sure is something where uh you can lose and just be so happy with the castle you built hey so we we did that pretty good good job for us uh gateway game uh castles of mad king ludwig i wonder if any of this changes next year i wonder how we do see that's i would be interested to go back to that just especially with new games or maybe re-looking at old games or even seeing other things since this is a an all-time list so uh we're looking at games from all time and there's plenty that we haven't played so uh, on to the next category, uh, best cornerstone. Ooh, good one. A unique this defining. Is, this is my category. I yeah, like here it. here is a here's a quick category for you all. Uh, best cornerstone. So this is a unique defining mechanic to a game. Um, I'm gonna run through this list with an obvious winner in it. Uh, Root has its radical asymmetry. Uh, Alchemists has a an app. That is worth explaining more when I finish this uh, list because it's going to win. Uh, Millennium Blades real-time trading. Uh, the uh, it, it had to be mentioned. Uh, Broom service. Uh, I I I am a brave witch uh, mechanic, uh, which also should be just uh, get a little bit more explanation uh, when when I finish this list. I'll just highlight these two. Uh, the master builder and castles of Mad King Ludwig probably also deserves a little bit more. The mysterious item in Betrayal Legacy is something you put on there, but it's also probably hard to put on here because it is a uh, spoilerific. Uh, drawing and choosing area cards in Wildlands is really neat. Uh, going back in time in Anachrony, and Hitler doesn't know who fascists are. Um, just a heads up, uh, this category has a built-in winner. Uh, that built-in winner would be Alchemists. Uh, I don't it, know if that's totally fair, but it is we, let's talk totally through fair. everything because we have to talk through all of these. Okay. We put them on the list. We created this long podcast for ourselves. So let's let's okay. get through it. Okay, let's let's try and muscle through this. So Root has radical radical asymmetry. It is definitely a cornerstone mechanic to that game. Does it work? Uh, y- yeah, it does. It does make everyone think about completely different factions. Um, but uh, I-, I don't know if it hangs on this list because uh, I don't know if that ever always root always felt amazing. I think it's better in concept than in practice. 
Um, yeah. n- next, I will explain. I'll pass by the Millennium, uh, the Alchemist app, and explain the. Uh, uh, I'll pass by Millennium Blades too. I'll let you explain that. Um, Brave Witch and Cowardly Witch is uh, an amazing cornerstone mechanic. Uh, that is in Broom Service. Uh, in Broom Service, you have a uh, k- kind of hand of cards. Uh, I believe you have nine cards. Something like that. Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, so you the nine number of cards. And the nine cards represent actions, and every turn you are choosing four of these actions to possibly take, and there is uh, two possible ways to take this action. Uh, I am a brave whatever, or I am a cowardly whatever. Uh, choosing a cowardly whatever, uh, whatever the card is, gives you a small reward that is guaranteed. Choosing the brave version of a an action uh, gives you a possibly large reward, but the issue is that if the person sitting next to you in player order uh, has that card or anyone else at the table has that card, they can also play the in player order. They can play. They can be a brave whatever. Uh, to take that action over you. So that is a power, that is a super powerful action uh, that you might get completely stolen from you. And I, I, I love uh, e- the, the whole idea of even ex- saying out loud, I am a brave witch. Uh, prairie witch. I, I am, am a the brave, brave prairie witch. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It, it, it works out. It, it works out great, right? Like it, it works out great from a defining mechanic that, like, having to say that out loud works. From from being worried about the next person over you saying that they are the brave thing, they are the brave prairie witch. Um, that playing, that saying I am a cowardly something feels cowardly. Um, just a really cool concept. Uh, going on to master builder. So Master Builder is a is multiple unique amazing mechanics rolled into one. Castles of Mad King Ludwig would not be the same without Master Builder. Master Builder is at the start of a turn, a player will organize tiles in according to how much he thinks people should pay for those tiles, and then people pay that person directly. So different concepts going into that what what does that mean for the actual game is that as the master builder you are first of all very excited because the whole all the eyes are on you you are going to decide what you think people should pay the most for who has the most amount of money what can they pay for so that becomes a really interesting consideration if a player is super rich and they need a certain uh, car. They need a certain uh, room for their castle. You might place that uh, unbelievably high because you know that no other player will want yeah. it, but maybe the rich player and, does want it. And here's uh, another cool thing: the master builder picks last, so the master builder chooses which tile he's going to buy after every other player chooses, which means yeah, so, that he has to hide what he wants to buy. Do you place it cheap? If you place it cheap then somebody else could scoop it up. But if you put it too expensive, then you have to pay more for it. Yeah, this is a brilliant mechanic. This is unbelievably good. Uh, this is like this is absolutely a cornerstone in it. Um, I'm going to... So I'll let you explain uh, Millennium Blades. I'll let you explain Mysterious Item and Material Legacy. Uh, drawing and choosing area cards in Wildlands. I put that in. 
Um, Wildlands is a really cool game. Wildlands is basically like an arena fight uh, where you're playing as a faction, as an asymmetric faction. Um, uh, but probably the most important mechanic or the most interesting and unique mechanic is that the first thing you do after choosing a, mecha- uh, a faction is that you draw these cards, and the cards are number- numbered 1 to 42, uh, which are the equivalent of the spaces on the board, and every space on the board has a number corresponding to it. Uh, with these 10 cards, you have 10 cards, um that you get uh you are deciding where you want to assign your character starting spawn points to and whatever cards you don't pick you hand off to the person next to you and that is where they will put their crystals which are a winning like a win condition where uh they'll get a point uh and points are massive in this game uh, for picking up a crystal. So you have to make considerations of where you want to spawn your people. Do you want to spread them out so that you could deal with uh, grabbing crystals all over the place? Do you want to put them together so that you can uh, roam around and take out people and win the game through fighting? Uh, and also you have to be afraid of uh, denying enemies from really easy pickups, maybe putting a bunch of their crystals in the same spot, making it easy for them to pick them up. Uh, really interesting, unique mechanic uh, that is certainly a cornerstone. Um, and then so the rest- I have so many things on this list. Yeah. Um, so first off, Millennium Blades real time trading. So this is actually more than trading. Essentially, there are two phases to Millennium Blades. Uh, one of them is competing in the card game tournament. Hold on, chances being bad. And the other is the actual building of your deck. So the building of the deck happens where you're spending money to open packs, uh, where you're trading with other people, and where you're fusing and crafting cards together and building out your collection. And the reason why this is here is because all of this happens in real time. So in between the tournaments, there is 20 minutes. And over those 20 minutes, y'all be spending money and trading with people and I just think that that's really cool because it also adds an additional layer of skill to this game. And I imagine that for a lot of other people, this immediately takes it off the list where they say, I don't want to, you know, I, I get AP, I get analysis paralysis. I, I can't fathom the idea of something of not having the time to think. And the game actually works that in. It bakes this in because over these 20 minutes, there are intervals where you stop the clock and then they give you more cards. Where they say, okay, stop the clock, here are some more cards, and now go again. Because there's so much information that you're processing. And honestly, this reminds me of like a cooking show. Have you ever seen Nailed It? No. So Nailed It is a cooking show on Netflix where they present the chefs with these really amazing like conceptual cakes or ideas where it'll be like look at this cake it's a bust of donald trump and they have these amateur bakers who were then given two hours to produce the same thing and there's this mixture of like they don't exactly know what they're doing they don't know what's in the kitchen and they don't know exactly the full capabilities so the thing that they end up designing is like a mess so the thing that i love about millennium blades is that so much of it ends up just being this big mess where 
you have this idea for what you want to do, but it doesn't like it cooks in the oven a little too long and it burns. And then it's like, oh shit, I accidentally sold this card that I needed to make this whole deck work. And we're going to get to best rule. One of the rules in Millennium Blades is no take backs allowed. Once you do something, you cannot take it back. And taking back things, that's like a thing that you do in board games. Oh, it's your first time, you take it back. And Millennium Blades, not allowed. So real-time trading and the fact that things happen in real time uh, is massive to me. Next up is the mysterious item in Betrayal Legacy. There is a part of Betrayal Legacy uh, that I am not allowed to talk about. But there is an item, and I think that this is also one of the reasons why uh, Betrayal Legacy fits into best style. There is a component and a rule and a mechanic of this game that requires you to handle certain pieces of the game with like respect and consideration and care and admiration because you are aware of its power. And I think that as a cornerstone and a defining mechanic of this game, uh, this also fits in like, like this is so good because it's also a reason why Betrayal Legacy could fit into best style or best rule. This might even make sense in best rule, but because of the fact that I can't talk about it, um, we don't get to nominate that one. So going back in time in Anachrony is really cool. I've discussed this a little bit, but in Anachrony, you can take resources from your future self. So the idea is that you're going into the future and claiming those resources, but in doing so, you create a ripple in time. So, so then later in the game, in future generations, in order to prevent a paradox, which could uh, destroy your tableau, you need to send resources back in time, uh, essentially like uh, just to fix like what you've, what you've done. And I think that that's really cool. I don't know that it's going to stay here, but, but from like a stylistic standpoint, like the idea of like, you took this, this event has already happened. So you must essentially like, what is it? Close your loop, right? Yeah. That's pretty neat. Um, next up, uh, this is something that you, I, you haven't experienced yet because you haven't played Secret Hitler at seven players, but Hitler doesn't know who the fascists are. So in a seven player game of Secret Hitler, there will be four liberals, two fascists and one Hitler. But the fascists know who Hitler is, <coughs> but Hitler does not know who the fascists are. And this just creates some really cool gameplay scenarios because part of being Hitler is also like, I know what my goal is, but I don't know who's on my side. And I, and, you know, obviously Hitler wants to be elected as chancellor, but he doesn't even know who's going to be uh, making that happen for him. So it adds like this extra layer of difficulty for the game. And it also like, think about this from like a, if X, then Y perspective of like, okay, if, if you know that this person is a fascist and they are acting like person B is a fascist, but person B isn't necessarily trusting of person A, then you might be able to ascertain from that weird web, which one of them is Hitler. And that's pretty cool. And last up on this list, I have uh, passing a card in cockroach poker. 
So one of the cool things about Cockroach Poker uh, is a game that we haven't talked about is you are trying to get rid of these bugs. So you give a bug to someone and you tell them what it is. So you pass someone a card and you say, this is a bat. And if they trust you, then then they say, uh, okay, this is a bat. And if they get it right, then you pass the card back. But one thing that's also fun about Cockroach Poker is you don't necessarily, is uh, once you pass the card to somebody, they can look at it and then pass it to somebody else. So they are sort of, uh, the thing that I like is that in this game, the um, transactions aren't binary. They're not one person to another person. You can actually get the entire table involved on a joke. And that's amazing. Just the idea of like passing someone a card and being like stink bug. And then like stink bug. They, need to, they need to look at the card and be like, okay, so this isn't a stink bug, but how do I, how do I get this to somebody else to make them think that it is a stink bug? And obviously the way to do that is you just yell stink bug and pass it along. But I, I think that that's such a cool mechanic in a social deduction game that it's it's just about little little lies being told over and over and also sort of the metagame uh, that's created around passing the cards because all of the cards have a fixed value. Uh, rats are no different from bats, are no different from cockroaches. But based, but there's like an economy that's created in the game based on the choices that people make. Where if someone is constantly, uh, where if people keep putting bats in front of someone, the value of bats changes. And I think that that's really cool. And then finally, Ryan, why don't you tell us about the Alchemists app? Why don't you tell us about the Alchemists app? Because apparently I don't understand it. Uh, so the Alchemists app is... So Alchemists is a game where you are combining uh, different ingredients in order to mix potions. Uh, and, and sort of the point of the game is to, is to, based on mixing the potions together, find out what the reagents, um, what their chemical compound is. So there are, there is essentially, imagine how boring this game would be if you've already played it once and you already know the chemical composition of everything because you've already played it. So what the Alchemist's app does is it randomizes and hides all of the information from the players. So everybody sort of gets into the same room. Uh, that's an important part. They all get into the same room. And then uh, you you are all in the, under the same uh, chemical rules where this time the, the Mandrake root is going to be... Uh, positive blue, negative green, negative red. And by mixing the mandrake root with, um, let's say, the scorpion, you will get a potion result. And maybe that potion result is uh, minus green. So now you know that both the mandrake root and the scorpion uh, have a minus green aspect to them. And then you are secretly behind your player board recording your thoughts. So the other players do not know what you've mixed. So by using this app, um, it's really cool because they get to see the result of what happened, but they don't get to see uh, what ingredients you used. So this is a cool mechanic. So it's not just the app. The app is not the mechanic, but it is this entire idea of like this. The app is a DM that is sort of running the 
the rules behind the scenes and is determining like the the setup for this game yeah and it really it works really well like you take a picture of the ingredients with your app uh that that aspect works really well everything is kind of governed by the app whether or not uh when you make guesses to what things are uh the app decides whether how right you are on certain aspects uh and uh, it, it is so important because it's a game that like would require it it's a really fantastic game that would with would require a dm to sit there and say whether or not certain things are true um and this app is uh doing that for you uh really well outstandingly well um and i i think that it was just the clear winner of a uh, best cornerstone here because it is so far and away like the thing you think of with with alchemist is one single aspect of it is this app and how it governs everything and yeah, randomizes and, everything. And also, Alchemists is a game that we didn't bring up in Social Deduction, but a part of Alchemists is bluffing, where the the other players do not know uh, what ingredients you've used, so they don't actually know what kind of information you have about different ingredients. And that's why part of the game is also debunking, is also saying, actually, you're full of shit about that. And it's something that only works because of the hidden information provided by the app. I, I bought Alchemists solely off of the, you know, this premise that it is far and away so unique and so different uh, from other games. Does it lead to the most fun? Is it the best cornerstone? You said that it is the runaway winner here, but these are strong contenders. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, hmm, so right now we have, uh, are, are we looking at this like Alchemist app, Brave Witch, and Master Builder? How do you, so I guess the other ones didn't blow you away. I, I don't, I don't know if the Hitler one. You'll see it. Maybe you'll see it tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if you that. Have way too many people tomorrow. In passing a card in Cockroach Poker, we could take it off, but still worth mentioning. Maybe maybe I would be most happy putting Master Builder because Master Builder has so many things surrounding it as like a unique mm. mechanic. Um the idea like when I like like not only are you happy to not be the master builder, but you're excited to be the master builder. Um and it creates like a like a D a moving DM of the game. I could see that a rotating DM is kind of interesting because, like, uh, like, like, Alchemist has this like app DM, but Master Builder is kind of interesting in that you have a DM that is rotating around the table that is deciding the value of different parts of the game, and if the whole game is like bidding on these uh, tiles for your castle, uh, it's it's super exciting to be the master builder in castles and, and there's just so many choices of like do, like you said like do you if you like it's scary because you're going to make a lot of money from being the master builder if you do it correctly but are you afraid of someone of not getting your choice on on picks are you afraid that if you if you put your what you want most too cheap so that you can buy it then someone else is going to buy it. But if you put it too expensive, then like, are you going to spend all of the money you made this round to buy this thing that you are 
you your yourself chose this inevitable like this ridiculously high price for it's a cool risk versus reward and it's actually not to i i can also see the argument here for the brave witch uh because it is also this risk versus reward and also uh, similar to the master builder, it rewards insight into what your opponent wants to do. So here's the reason why uh, Brave Witch doesn't win. Um, when you are the master builder in Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and you set an item outside of somebody's price range, you both lose, right? And when you put it high enough that they could buy it, you both win. They get... Uh, the tile piece and you feel great because you scored a bunch of money now i love the brave witch mechanic but nobody else at the table does right because when i correctly predict what other players are going to do it's going to make them feel really bad yeah and i so i love brave witch but i don't know if it wins okay so we're between alchemist app and master builder I'm shocked if Alchemist app doesn't win, but I could see Master Builder winning. These are both so juicy, right? Oof. I need to have a think about this one. So I would almost say Master Builder. Honestly, like it it it, it doesn't require anything outside of the game. Um it, it is completely player driven, and that is also interesting because as it goes around the table, the different players with their own different ideas and strategies make the game even more yeah. random. Um, so let me, it's exciting let me also, to be the master builder because you're being the ass, you're being this, the DM. Yeah. Let me also say this. We fucked up the game of Alchemists because of the app. I fucked up the game of Alchemists because of the app. Like, we put in the wrong code and it ruined the game. Yeah. I, what was it? It was like B&V or something like was switched? BVDM or something. It was like BVDM and you thought it was like VBDM. Yeah, so Either like way. That. Uh, so Master Builder and Castles of the Mad King Ludwig. You think that wins? Ryan, I think that wins. I think it wins. So now what we need to figure out, Ryan, is are we continuing this or do we save this for another day? I think we could save it for another day. Uh, we ha- almost have enough for an entire podcast more? right here. Or and should we? I, I mean, one more? Or should we? Nah, let's save it. I, I, the, my, I mean, I'm between two different things because... With most played, most anticipated in Game of the Year, their individual awards, they can go pretty quickly because we're just say like, these are the runners up, uh, this is what wins. But I think that uh, I think that we also, already have so much time. It's going to be two podcasts yeah. anyway. Yeah. And also we have, if we're going to do that, like throw on two more awards for a massive thing and we got a whole nother two hours. Because right this now we're, been a great we're working with two hours and 40 minutes right now. So, uh, play any good video games this week? Smash. Uh, That'll do it, folks, magic. for WTDG yeah. Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can find us online, WTDGpodcast.com. What's the deal with games? Rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Gowing, crying for the YouTube music. We use the intro and outro revive off the old album, Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find the, the Run for Cover Bandcamp. Sorry, they are not around anymore. Uh, we I don't say that flippantly. Uh, I miss They're you vintage. crying. Yeah, uh, but uh, man, I don't even know how... I'm going to have to cut this podcast down a lot. We oh, are yeah. working with two hours and 40 minutes in the audacity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been playing Fallout New Vegas this week. That's, That's it, folks. Surprising. Okay, Thanks, wow, everybody. that requires an, a whole other podcast to explain. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, James. And, and I'll, see you to, uh, I'll see you tomorrow. And we, I think we just don't have it yet. 
we don't have yeah. the second half of this podcast yet. <laughs>